0: Welcome to the Joy in Purpose podcast. My name is Lola Shodunke. I am a doctoral student in a psychology program. Joy in Purpose is a podcast dedicated to conversations about purpose, career development, and mental health. I also interview individuals as they share their purpose stories. I would like to remind our listeners that this podcast is not a replacement for therapy. Information shared on this platform is for educational purposes only. Thank you for listening. I am so excited for you to listen to this interview. This interview touched my heart. Today's interview is with Karima Imordi. She is a born-again, Holy Ghost-filled, proud Jesus girl, word addict, and intercessor. She's a former Muslim who converted to Christ later in life after God did a miracle and revealed himself to her. She is the co executive producer and co host of The Relevant Show, a revolutionary talk show created to disrupt the mainstream view of the relevancy, reality, and results of the Word of God. This show is co-hosted by a multi-generational team of radical Jesus lovers. Relevant opens your eyes to the ability of God's words to provide answers to the difficult questions facing our world today. Karima is recently married to Anthony, the most amazing man she's ever had the honor to know. She's a mother to two amazing sons and 14 grandchildren. I believe that you would love Karima. Enjoy the episode.
1: Thank you so much, Karima, for joining me. I am so excited to have you here to share your comfort story. Um, I'd like to know, maybe because i in the field of psychology, But I like to ask people about where they were born and uh, for them to tell us their favorite childhood memory.
2: Um, First of all, Thank you so much, Lola, for allowing me to be on your podcast. You know, the joy of purpose is so important. Our purpose of our life and what we're doing in our life and why we're here is the question that everyone is always asking. And when you figure that out, life is so much better. Um, So thank you for that. I appreciate this podcast. I appreciate the platform that you're allowing people to come and share. Um, I was born and raised on a farm in Michigan. Can you imagine <laughs> a farm in Michigan? And I remember one of my favorite, very young childhood memories. And this is kind of funny and like, you know, mischievous at the same time. I remember we used to have a fruit stand on the road, like a lot of farmers did back in the day. Um, and so I remember as a young girl, seeing all those red apples that my dad had lined up on you know they had them put you know you presented them well because people wanted to stop at your stand and i remember i think i may have been three or four thinking well i want to buy the apple and i was told i couldn't happen and so and my childhood mind, I wouldn't take took a bite off of each apple because I wouldn't eat the whole one. And then when my dad tried to sell some of the apples, he kept pulling up the apples and they all had bites out of it. And it was so funny. And then the man, the the, um, the farmer or the, the person that came up bought the apples anyway. said, we'll just cut them off because they thought it was so cute that I had bit, you know, maybe not all the apples, but I had bit a substantial amount of apples thinking, okay, I won't get in trouble because I'm only going to take a bite. I'm not going to take. So that was one of my most favorite childhood memories Can we talk about it even to this day my family
1: oh that's funny and it's like it's just some simple things that become our favorite mm-hmm. memories uh what was your favorite activity as a child some people like they like reading painting I don't know what was your favorite activity to engage in as a child
2: hmm, I had so many but primarily it would have been singing I'm a worship leader, I sing, I sung in the world for many years, jazz bands, blues bands, so I I was the kid that was always singing in the house that the brothers and sisters were always telling to shut up, you know, the one that is always singing, no matter what I was doing, I was always singing, I was always listening to music, I was always in anything creative, I'm very creative, so that, you know, either music, writing poetry, writing songs, making up stuff. Uh, make it up whole lives you know I end up being a filmmaker later and do I would just do all kind anything that imagination was involved that was me and oftentimes my mom used to say she's always in the cloud she's always dreaming because I always had some other scheme or ideal or idea that I wanted to 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 act out or to sing about you know all the way when I was growing
1: up that's nice and I can't relate to that uh, so I did want to ask you how now we're getting to your conversion story how is it like growing up as an African-American Muslim in the United States? Do people think that you were a foreigner? I remember the one of the first persons that I met when I moved to the U.S. at age 12. At this time, I was 13, going to a different school. She was Muslim and she was African-American. And in my mind, I thought, oh, maybe she's from Africa. Uh, because I've never met someone that would, she was wearing the hijab and she was 13, just like I was. And then she was telling me her story that she's African-American. And we would sit together at lunch. So did you have similar experiences? What was it like being an African-American
2: Muslim? So that's the interesting part, Lola, that is, is the differentiates me, at least at the beginning um, um, years of my uh, Muslim uh, faith, was that we were brought up in the nation of Islam, which was different, I didn't know at the time, than true Islam. And I say that with quotations because, you know, true Islam is still a false religion, you know. But see, the Nation of Islam was a sect of African-Americans that followed the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and then um War of D. Muhammad. And it separated when um, Brother Minister Louis Farrakhan, which I'm sure you've heard his name, Farrakhan. He was a part of the Nation of Islam, all of us. As a matter of fact, um, Brother Farrakhan used to, Brother Minister Farrakhan used to give me my awards every year because I was a, a top student. And so we, I started off going to Muslim schools. We actually had our own schools a Muslim school. And that version of Islam, if you will, was, (laughs) we believed in putting the Quran on the top of the highest shelf in the house, literally, and not touching it. I believe God was the person who started um, the Nation of Islam, Master Farab Muhammad was his light-skinned black guy, very light-skinned. We had his picture on the wall and I thought he was God because that's what we were taught. That was God to us. And so what happened was that Brother um, uh, Anwar Elijah Muhammad was the person that took over his son Wallace Muhammad uh, went on a pilgrimage to Mecca, which is, you know, something that Muslim. Blah, blah. And when he came back, he told his father, we're not practicing true Islam, if you will. So there was a split and we call it in the, the nation, the first resurrection, the second resurrection. It's interesting how things parallel to Christianity, but it was just all falsehoods. Long story short was that, you know, people stayed with the the first resurrection mentality of more like black empowerment so there's a lot of things I loved about being a, uh, a nation of Islam Muslim because the main thing I got from it is love of self and my color and who I am is as an as a, as a African-American that was very prominent and the whole industry of business and owning your own things what I think is important that was very important that's why I'm such a business person to this day because of what I, the foundation I had there um but my family as, as my father has always been which Pastor, to me we're people that believe in following the rules of anything we're part of so when it was said by the honorable like Muhammad to go with his son people decided to stay the old way and they went with brother minister Farrakhan it was a split in the nation um so long story short it really never was the same because then the Muslim school closed because you know first of all we got lower lower attendance I we got enrolled into a public school um, it was in a, um, we lived in an African-American Polish neighborhood, but we had to walk literally a mile to school 15 blocks every day to go to the elementary school. And it was a culture shock for me because, you know, I'm dark skinned um, and where my dark skin, you know, I'm dark brown and, you know, I'm nowhere near light skin. But in the nation of Islam, the darker you were, the better. So, you know, I'm mm-hmm. the lighter. brown. I'm not light brown. I'm like brown. But, you know, my sister and brother were darker than me. And so that was the, like the big thing, you know, the more darker you were. Then to go to a school with African-Americans and everyone hated their color. It's like the more darker you were, we were called every name in a book. And it was very, very difficult for us because we come from this environment where being black and loving yourself, your queens, your kings, you, you know, you just learn all this black empowerment to go to a public school with African-American children and be degraded every single day. Because of your skin color, so it was. It was. It was a very interesting dichotomy that I had a brother who was our darkest one. You know, the one brother that looks Sudanese. He's so dark. He he got it the worst. I mean, and I don't think he ever really recovered from, him, to be honest. Um, wow. The uh, vitriol that was hurled on us because of our skin color and not embracing who we are, and that's I can get emotional about that because I see it even now. Colorism and that idea that darker means lesser you know, or it's not as good. It's just so horrible. And what we learned in the nation of Islam was to embrace and celebrate and honor our color, which is as a Christian now, I realize even that is not nowhere near the most important thing because I don't see, I'm not a color person. I'm not an African-American. I'm a believer first. It happens to be African-American.
1: Yeah. You know what you say about the people from the nation of Islam? I, I find it to be true because I've listened to some of them on podcasts and it's about loving yourself, loving your blackness, planting your own food, being able to fight, starting your own business. They talk about groupnomics. <laughs> and so there's a part of it that can be very, very important, especially very. growing up in a place where some people might have experienced being oppressed or being discriminated against. Before I start, we started recording, you talked about how your family, at when you were a certain age, uh, you got to pick your name. Just talk about your family and if you re- know the story, how they got involved with the Nation of Islam. I've I've met black Muslims in the United States that uh, are like second generation Muslim, third generation Muslim. What is your family story and your so- story into the, that religion?
2: So interestingly enough, at the time in Michigan, um, you know Detroit. In Chicago, Detroit was one of the. In Chicago, where actually Detroit, I believe, started was the uh, the area where the nation was first started, and Michigan, when we lived, that was very close. You know, maybe a couple hours away. So you would always see my. I guess my father was stopped on the street by a, um, a Muslim Nation of Islam brother carrying. You know, we would sell the, the 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 Muhammad Speaks was our newspaper. We had our own newspaper. Everything. It was such a empire movement in some ways. Um, And so he was stopped and told about the nation. And if you knew my father and a lot of black men, what what really attracted black men and women to the nation, because it was during a time of life when black people in America were were fighting civil rights, they were oppressed, they were dealing with a lot. So to find a organization, they spoke to the heart of a man and a woman about who they were and made them feel good. So my father went to a meeting at the nation, they had meetings and from then, you know, cause I was really, really young. my family joined the nation. Matter of fact, I might've, when they first joined, I mean, when well, was I already born? I may have been a baby. And so they joined the nation, they moved to a farm. We had, you know, group, we all lived on different farms. We we had our own um, crops. And so they became involved in it. And then subsequently moved to South Bend and opened up our own mosque there. Temple number 31 is where the Muslim school was. All of my friends were Muslim. All of us, all of them had kids with a lot of families. Another thing they do, they they really were very big about getting Muslim family because they were very big on, at least, you know, later on you hear the real story because I was a child. So when I looked at it from a child's eyes, and even though my sister's only a year and a half older than me, she told me things that I didn't know. I was like, oh, that was what that was about. So, you know, they were really big on family and they were really trying to target black men to stay with their families. Um, so they were really big on, you know, finding people who had family. So we we came to the nation. We started going. I mean, literally, I was there every single day from being in school or a meeting at the mosque. We ate there. We fellowshiped. Everything your whole life is like now with, you know, in my church. My whole life revolved around the Muslim experience and being a part of the nation. And so, like I said, for many ways, you know, my father had a, you know, he worked. You know, all days in Notre Dame. At Notre Dame, we ended up south being with Notre Dame University. He worked at security all day. Security guard all day. He uh, he worked for the power plant at night. He had a job. We had a hauling truck on the weekend. He bought us an ice cream stand, and we on a, when he got through the hauling with the boys, we took our ice cream stand out and sold stuff. I mean, we were just industrious people. I mean, that was just the way you rode, and so. But what happened when the split came, when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad died and his son came up and the nation split, it really affected our family. As a matter of fact, we grew up vegetarian Well, we ate fish. I think they call that pescatarian or uh-huh. We, didn't eat, we, just, we didn't eat shrimp. The only thing we ate was fish. And so I remember when the War of De Muhammad took over and my, our family followed that side of the nation. The first time we ever um, ate meat, quote unquote, my dad bought this big steak home, put it on the grill and cook it. And I, for many years, I couldn't eat steak because it tasted like an animal to me. It was like so foreign to me. So for many years, I, 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 I like steak now, but for many, many years, most of my life, I never was a steak eater because I still had that first experience of meat. I'm not, I'm kind of digressing. But anyway, so that's like, Kind of our family story into it. We stayed in it. I remember around ten. Okay, so around nine. You know, one of um, Imam Warfde Muhammad, and he they went from being minister to Imam, as they call them in the in Muslim faith. The true, I always say it's true as you can call a false religion, faith. And then he said that we needed to change our name. So my father is very obedient. I learned that from him. We, we believe in being, doing, you know, obedience is important in our family culture. Um, so we all changed our names. He allowed us, the, the kids to pick our first names and last, uh, first and middle names. So my name was Cheryl Lou Anne Anderson. Uh, I picked Karima Aisha. My sister picked Fatima Farida. Um, and then my oldest brother, Nasir, my, my youngest, uh, my b- brother Bilal, Picked his name Bilal. and then the youngest brother who was Elijah, they just he just picked the name, which is the Arabic of Elijah, is Ilias. So his name is Ilias. And then my family, my father picked our family last name, which is Elamin, which is defender of the faith. Because you know, my dad's one of those starch brothers, one of those bat carrying, you know. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of, and then I just don't remember, I just remember when we start going to you know public schools, it was difficult. And then, but later on, you know, the attendance, a lot of the people that are part of the nation were older and the, the younger generation, us, I was literally the only family member that really still practiced aside from my father, mother, uh, my brothers and sisters for many years. I mean, I raised my, my children, Muslim with my first husband, uh, even though he was Christian, I, I still was like, you know, we can't marry up. I can't, you know, teach them. You know, I, I prayed five times a day. I speak Arabic. All my prayers were in Arabic. That was my life. And I just don't really, I can't really ever pinpoint when it just kind of wan. I just remember it, you know, even as when I divorced my ex husband with my children's father, you know, going to the mosque, it was just a bunch of really, really old members, like in the 80s and 90s, me and my sons and my father, and a few ones that I would try to recruit here and there. So it was, it was, it was, it was sad how things went because there were some things that were great about it. But the one thing I remember distinctly was that i wanted nothing to do with christianity because i was afraid because you know one thing if you go to become a muslim you know you can be killed i mean it's very and it was said if you go back into something that you've done before it's worse than if you've never tried it before same thing is in scripture but it's different way so so many things i found out in the quran were taken from the the bible but i hadn't read a bible until i got converted so i don't know how far you want me to go i'm just kind (laughs) of just going down
1: this road now no you're good what i love to do is just allow people to talk because there's so many gems and it's an opportunity to share your story so for someone who just knew that they didn't want anything to do with christianity first you married a christian man so tell us why did you choose to marry a christian man and then tell us your conversion story to christianity
2: so i married christian i got married at 19. You know, oh. I was very, very young. I mean, he was, we were both, you know, attractive. He was, ha- he was good looking. He was, well, you know, my, you know, I was in college, you know, <laughs> it yeah.
0: happened. Um, I feel you. And, too.
2: You know, <laughs> you know I mean, it wasn't like, I was like, oh, say not to be a Christian. I just, you know, met the guy and we got married. We got married very young and 19. I had my first son at 20, second one at 22. We divorced one when, when I was 27. Mm. And I went my whole life as a quote unquote Muslim, even though I was—I didn't have a mosque to go to, I would listen to messages. I would follow brother Mr. Farrakhan and brother Wafdi Muhammad when he died. I would just listen. I was just kind of a Muslim by having my own Quran, but didn't have a place of worship for many, many years, 20, 30 years, didn't have a 20 years, didn't have a place of worship. Um, but I still consider myself a Muslim. My brothers and sisters, they don't now because I've converted all but one. <laughs> they considered themselves Muslims. Um, though they weren't practicing, I was the only quote unquote practicing, like I still didn't eat pork, I grew up, I never had eaten pork, you know, we grew up never eating pork, so I hadn't eaten pork, I mean, I had, you know, I drink here and there, but I wasn't, I was, my my goal in life, I would always tell people, and this is kind of sick in my conversion stories, that I I always would say, I I'm gotta to go to heaven, so I always gave, I was, you know, Muslims are very big givers, I was always giving, I was always working in my community. I had corporate jobs and I was always doing things to help my community. And I would always say like constantly, I have to go to paradise, I gotta go to heaven. It was very important to me. So I tried to live based on what I understood of what's appropriate living as a Muslim because my goal was to go to heaven. It was never any question that I was gonna live wrong because I had to go to heaven, that was just it. And so I I truly believe in that because I know the power of your word because life and death is in the power of the tongue is that God honored my request because I always said I went to heaven and God honored my heart. If you remember the story of um, that man from Caesarea that sent his people to Joppa to talk to um, Peter. And because God said, I heard your, your, the, the, the word of your alms and your sacrifices that came up to heaven. And this guy was an unbeliever. He wasn't one of the children of Israel. But because of his good works, God heard him and he sent men to Joppa to go talk to Peter because the angel came to him. And then Peter was like, no, I don't want to talk to them. They're not, they're not, they're not Jews, but God sent them to save them. And I believe, my. and I didn't know this story, of course, prior to becoming Christian, but I, I read, I read that I said, oh, that was me because God saw my heart. He knew the kind of person. So he knew he needed to make sure that the words that I spoke, that I'm going to heaven, even though I didn't know I was speaking to the real heaven.
0: Mm-hmm. God
2: honored my words anyway so I said people you don't have any idea how powerful your words are because I always spoke that so God knew he had to and he knew I was so resistant and I wasn't that kind of outwardly resistant because I had a lot of Christian friends all my friends were Christian I mean I very, knew very few Muslims anymore all the ones were old or dead mm-hmm. anymore um, but I wanted nothing to do with their religion one of the things is I thought they were all broke and not doing much I was you know very successful six-figure working in corporate America doing well uh-huh. and so I'm like I don't want anything to do with your Jesus because y'all you y'all celebrate Christmas every every year after Christmas, all y'all borrow money from me because you didn't spend money on stuff that you can't afford. You know, just the whole, and though I didn't, you know, you know, more I was really close, I would joke with him, but for the most part, I'm like, I'll let you live your life, but I don't see your Christianity working for me because it ain't working for you. So I don't want no parts of it. And I never said it out loud. That was just my thought in my head. like, and because my only experience, you know, I used to go to because of my the work that I did, and you know, when I worked for Whirlpool and different places I have worked, I was always having to do community work, so I was always out, you know, in front of people, and I would go to churches, and unfortunately, in black, a lot of black churches, sickness, um, barely making it, you know, and it was just I, 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 I always felt so angry with it. Maybe I don't even think it was a, a understood anger; it was just like I had this disdain for their faith didn't do anything for them. It didn't help them, but I understand why now, but you know, at that time it was like, mm, I, I, I'm good on Jesus or whatever mm-hmm. that part, because it's not working. Um, And so, okay. Where do you want me to go now? I'm just kind of all over, trying to let you direct me, which part you want to hear.
1: Okay. How did you come to Jesus?
2: Okay. So that's interesting. So um, God is, so, he's so faithful and he's so, he's so in tune with who you are and where you need to be to do what he's called you to do so I went through this period um I was working for um I was that executive over at Whirlpool Corporation in, in Minton Humber, Michigan and uh, I ran this literacy the I let ran the educational arm for them they had the you know corporate and they had a the non arm and I ran one of their nonprofit arms which was the education arm basically trying to get together into, uh, it was a community that they were in, their, their headquarters was in where the um, education rate for most of the people, which were black, were third grade, well, sixth grade or sixth grader below. A lot of them were like third grade and below. We had generation and generations of people who haven't graduated high school. So, and they were gonna bring all this industry to the community. So they had to bring the educational level up for people to be actually be able to do the job. So that's, I kind of got in this, this, this place. But in that, I, I had this um, condo and I was living under in the heart of Benton Harbor a, 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 a woman her name is Rose Hunt and she was a Christian African-American woman and she was the first person that I had close contact with because I'm sure it was lots and I know for sure there's lots of African-Americans that are doing well and Christianity is working for them but I didn't know them you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, that actually practiced Christianity for real, not with just one of those, oh, I'm a Christian, but you know, I haven't been in church since Christmas or Easter, you know, the kind of C&E. And she um, would say, and she ran the community development arm because she was from that community, They brought her back to come help run some things in the community. And I would, she, you know how, what I tell people, you should really be very careful how you live your life because you never know who's watching you. I watched Uh. her. She didn't know. I mean, we're friends. She was older than me. I watched her and she will say things that I always took note of because when you do community development work and plus, especially in a press community, on a press community, when there's been this years long, you know, um, conflict with Caucasians and black people, you know, wealth and the socioeconomic disparities, the educational disparities, there's a lot of conflict. So she did that community development art. And so she, so she was always getting attacked here from one side or the other, but you know, she had wow. a job to do, it was always something. And she would say things like, oh, I just make the en- enemy my footstool. Oh, they come together. And mm. She would tell me about these different things people would do. Also, I say, I'm prayed about it, God, at that, that. And I, I and I would literally, I'm getting chills. I would literally watch her get out of situations or things that people would attack her. That I knew that was just wrong. And I me, mean, I'm like, all oh, black power, girl. You better tell them better no, no, that's not how I did it. I go to my prayer closet. And though I, I didn't really cue it to her face and my mom, I'm like, whatever. But I, I started to call her the Teflon Don. There's this is mobster in New York. They used to call wow. that because no, no, nothing can stick to him. And uh-huh. every time things would just, she was, like, oh yeah. This, and I'd be like, how did that work out like that? It made no sense. It made absolutely no sense. So I started to think, wow, what is it about this woman in her faith that that's different than anything I ever experienced. So, uh, also during that time, I was going through a serious. It was it was a battle. I realized what it was spiritually because I started to feel. Even though I haven't been going to a mosque, I still consider myself Muslim. But be, I think, being around her and seeing it, it was started to. It kind of helped um, precipitate some other things I was doing. I was dealing with a lot of depression, anxiety. People always think making more money make you it happy. It's just a lie. If you don't have Christ, you will be. Like I was suicidal thoughts, a lot of depression, had an ulcer, was getting panic attacks, going through this really crazy time. Um, for like a couple of years. And then I, I remember calling my father, telling him, daddy, you know, I'm just, I need to talk with somebody about my faith. Nothing's working. I'm reading the Quran. Nothing's helping me. I didn't go into the mm-hmm. other issues, but yeah, we me talked to different moms, you know, they are trying to encourage me, but it wasn't doing anything. And I remember I lived in my condo by myself. My children are grown. And I would flip the TV and I don't, if everybody knows me, I don't watch television, but I turned on my TV and the only thing I would stop on were these Christian television shows on UPN or CB, whatever those different TBN. Yeah. And I remember watching those only time that anxiety or that, that, that oppression would lift is when I was watching. And I didn't realize that first, I just noticed I always ended up on one. Not really listening to them, listening to them, but just watching them. It was like this peace came on. So I would turn them on and not really listen to them. But I didn't know that was the only thing that kind of helped me deal with some of them panic attacks. Because literally I was calling people didn't know. I was calling the ambulance thinking I was dying every other day. That's how bad the panic attacks get. Then I would get up and go to work or leave the hospital to come to work. No one knew. I never said anything to anyone. So I just was going through that and going through that. But I didn't know that my friend Rose knew because, you know, the sermon of, spirit you know now that i know yeah. i've been practicing for 10 years but she knew it was going to she was praying for me she had a whole church praying for me i didn't know at the time because she knew i was right for the picking but she never said never spoke to me about it because she knew i would have rejected it out of just i'm I'm good mm-hmm. long story short is that i she kept inviting me to the church but one time i decided to go because in that point like i said i'm I got to point that my ulcer got so bad I couldn't even drink water. I'm A lot of pain, having you know waiting for an appointment. Six months I waited for an appointment to get to a gastroenterologist to find out what's going on with me. I'm missing a lot of pain, having panic attacks. She had me go to the church, and um and she's actually left her sister's church who she was helping cope, you know, lead to join this pat- church of this young white pastor that came. Out <laughs> my job to speak to me one day, and I was like, oh, he don't get to speak to. That. I haven't talked to one of my you know staff. I don't got no time for no pastor, especially no white pastor come to a black community. he could come help all the black folks. That was my mind. <laughs> that was my initial dismissal of him. Like, I don't have nothing to say to him. Um, Of course I was cordial, you know, had my secretary. I never even met with yeah. him. So anyway, so I went to the church with her and I remember the sermon. Wasn't really impressed or not, not impressed. It was just being polite. But I remember how they had a card that you filled, that you put an offering in and on the back of it. So they didn't take an offer. You just put it in in a basket when you walk out. But on the back of it said, do you have any prayer requests? And I put something on there to the fact that uh, God, show me yourself or God, let me know who you are or something because I was just feeling lost. Now, I've been to a lot of churches over my career and I filled out lots of things many, 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 many times. That was the very first time. I ever heard back from a church? That's what. So I told that to my church that I'm now. So as a testimony, please follow up because you don't know who really needs it. Because a lot of people do it as a more of a perfunctory thing, but not really seriously. Yeah. But he, but the him himself, the pastor was, of course, he knew I was very well known community leader in his high profile job. He knew who I was, and so um he uh called me himself. And since I didn't know the number, I asked me, He left a message on my um, phone. Saying hi, this is Pastor, you know, Pastor Brian. I want to talk to you. And I didn't, and I heard the message, and I told my friend. I said the only reason I'm calling him back is I respect you, and that's your pastor. Because literally, that was the only reason. Hey, hand, I'm good, you know. I don't want to talk to him. So he called me. We talked. No, no, meet with him out of respect for her. She was my friend. We had become good friends, and because I was her pastor, and I was all, I'm always very respectful. So I wasn't going to just dismiss the pastor, yeah. especially if he didn't call me directly. So we met with him and he gave me this book. We talked and I told him my faith, you know, uh, I didn't share what was going on, but everybody knew from the spiritual that something was going on with her. Yeah. He gave me this book called the case for the case for Christ by Lee Strobel hmm. and that book. And I, I recommend especially back then so many times to so many people need to start recommending it again. It was from a Pulitzer prize winning author who was an atheist who set out to prove that Christ was a lie. And he had been at that time, 10 years ago, been a pastor over 20 years, but he started out as a Pulitzer Prize winning atheist, set out to go through the whole thing to show that Christ was alive. By the time God got through with him, he wrote this book, he was converted. So I started Uh, reading that book. Hey, God is so faithful. By halfway through the book. Because, you know, I had all the things, the things I owe, you know, some of the things that's very, very prominent in Islamic religion that God be- begat nor is he begotten, basically denying Christ. You can't have a son. That was our biggest contention between Christianity and, and, and Islam is that uh-huh. I cannot have a son because that's written multiple times. like it's drilled in your head all the way through the, the Quran. He begat nor is he begotten, basically saying he cannot have a son because he's uh-huh. God. So the whole premise, the whole foundation of the Christianity is Christ. The whole foundation of Islam is the n- denial of Christ. He was just a prophet. He was just a man. Wow. So anyway, so about halfway through the book, all the things I've ever said, all the things i learned, I can't even remember them so much. That's you know how much I, my mind has been renewed. A lot of times you would spit off all the things we would say, but now I'm so past that point. But I, halfway through the book, I called my father because one of the things, you know, you could be disowned. I said, I called my father. I said, daddy, I think, um, I think I'm leaning towards this you know, trying out Christianity. And my father said, and I was scared. It took me a minute to call him because I'm like, man, I don't want to be, I mean, no one had did it. No one that came, nobody, you don't mm-hmm. do that. You've been a Muslim. Even if you're not practicing, you still say you're a Muslim.
1: Yeah.
2: He said, daughter, you're going to always be my daughter. Aw. And I knew that was him saying that. I don't care what nobody else say. I'm never going to, you're never going to not you. disown you. So that freed me. I finished reading the book. I called the pastor. No, I didn't call him. A few days, I don't know, week two. I can't remember the date times. I remember finally getting the okay to go to this gastroenterologist appointment. Now, and this is the time. Now I'm still having all these stomach issues. could barely drink water, pain all the time, constant from anxiety and stress. And I know it was demonic oppression now because they didn't want me to cross over because they knew what God was going to do to me. So he was trying hard to kill me to have me kill myself, anything he can to destroy me. So I remember going on my way to this doctor's appointment who I made it six months to get into, because that's how he was the most prominent one in the area. So I'm driving, and at the time I'm driving my little Volvo. I, I had a friend who made me this, this CD, because I'm, I'm a singer, so I mean, I'm a minister now, but music minister, but at the time I'm a singer and I love good music. So i always listen to popular gospel songs. If it's a good, good song, I liked it, but she amazed, yeah. made me just see all these great, you know, gospel songs. And I just love good music. I always did listen. I listened from everybody. So I'm driving and one of my windshield wipers were broken. I hadn't got it fixed yet. And I left my water aerobic class and I'm going to this appointment, came on, was so excited to finally get some relief. And I'm driving, I'm listening to this song. i been listening to this song. I read this book. And I, even though I knew I was going to try it, I hadn't had the courage to actually say, OK, this is 100% confirmed. I said, Daddy, I'm thinking about it. I wasn't convinced all the way yet. Though I knew it in my heart of hearts, I still, it was still all this religion and fear and all this stuff I'm battling. You know, And I'm 40, at that time, 42 years old. So I'm not like a young, you know, I've been in my entire life. The only thing i ever known was this and so I'm driving to the um, doctor's appointment and all of a sudden, you know, it, it started to rain like a monsoon, literally. You know how that like buckets and buckets of water and my windshield wiper on the driver's side was not working, but the other one was.
0: Mm. Something that, you know, hey, you
2: gotta get fixed. Oh, I'm gonna get around to, it. I'm gonna get around to. I am going to get around to it. did not get, never took it to the, to the shop. So I get like halfway to the place. Now you can't be late. You can't miss this appointment. And I'm like, oh my God, I, um, Go pull off and say, Oh my God, this rain is raining so hard. I had to pull over because I couldn't see. I'm almost hit a car. So I pull over to the Walgreens parking lot on my way there. (laughs) And it's so funny how it works. So I'm sitting there listening to the music. And I just say, God, I said this literally, I like, God, if you're God, stop the rain and get me safe to the doctor's office. Immediately, the rain stopped. And I'm not talking about like, a, I mean, like no rain. And my windshield had this Volvo. And my windshield had this stuff that beads up, that makes water beads up when it's a little. And then as I thought about the bead of water, it just disappeared off my car. So I'm driving to the doctor's office, like what just happened? I'm looking around. How do you just say the rain stopped? And this wasn't a, it was a, a kind of downpour. that just don't stop. It has to trickle down, stop. It, mm-hmm. you, but the rain just stopped. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, okay, so I'm driving and I'm like, I'm looking all around, like, I'm like, oh my God. So I get into the parking lot and I pull in, but of course doubt, enemy star, he said, I said, well, I thought in my head, well, how do I know it was just me? And then I said, um, if this is Jesus, I said, no, how I know this is God of Islam, I'm thinking about oh, this is Jesus, because I knew what I was asking, I needed to be, I said, okay, well, God, if this is Jesus, start the rain back up. A second, another second, a moment, the rain burst out again. And then in my mind, I thought, well, it didn't start right again. And I heard God audibly speak to me as clear as I'm speaking to you. I heard in my car, nobody in there with me. You asked me for confirmation and still you doubt me. I heard it clear this day. I started I called my friend Rose. Now, I didn't know that they had been, the pastor and the whole team had been praying for me. I had been on there and, pray, and I know how powerful prayer is. They had been praying for yeah. me. And I told her what happened. She just started shouting glory. And I said, I want to go see the pastor. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know. That very next day I met with the pastor. That was November 15, 2001. I accepted Christ in that back room with the pastor. Um, at that time, I couldn't drink water. I, I went to the doctor's appointment. I came back. They saw me. I had to go to get to the gastrointestinal. I didn't even notice at the time. All I started to be later on, a few weeks later, I noticed that I hadn't been in any more pain and when I was able to eat, you know, I, I was like in this whole cocoon that God puts new believers in to really measure. Mm-hmm. I went back to get that test. He showed me now. This is somebody who had holes in their stomach. I was completely healed. Wasn't wow. nothing. He showed me, he said, well, I don't even know why you're here. Cause you're, you look like you have a brand new inside. Like wow. everything was perfect. Wow. Um, ever since they on fire for Christ. And people yes. sometimes ask me how I can go so far. I said, I feel like I got time. I have to make up time for all those years. And I know that's not how God look at it, but I just feel like there's absolutely my whole entire life is for Christ now all my money, all my time, everything I do.
1: Wow. Sorry. I, so this is audio only, but if you could see my face, I am like obviously speechless. I am moved. From my perspective, growing up in a Christian household, sometimes for me, dealing with my own doubts and my own God have you forsaken me, this is just like a, I'm going to go check out that book, A Case for Christ least yes I'm gonna go check it out because even me that I've been a believer for a long time I I need the encouragement and I'm speechless and I thank God for your life and I thank God that we joined this testimony wow um the last question to round this off so we were talking about this earlier about your name and why you mentioned something powerful that it's actually a testimony that you didn't change your name. I was telling you that growing up, I know some Nigerians, like my mom's side of the family, they're Muslim. I know some Nigerians that like when they convert, she's a Christian and most of her family are Christian. But when they change to Christianity, they let go of their Arabic name and then they'll pick a name from the Bible. So I've only really thought it's Arabic, you know, it's a language. So tell us your uh, perspective for not changing your name.
2: So um, my perspective for not changing my name, because my name represents who God processed me through to become mm-hmm. the change agent that I am now in for the kingdom. And my name is a Mus- it's an Arabic name, it's not a Muslim name, though I used to call it my Muslim name. It's actually an Arabic name, but I like that it's associated with the Muslim faith because it's a very great um, conversation started with people. They say, oh, so you have this Arabic name where you Muslim. I said, by the way, I was, let me tell you my story. And um, I've told this story many times in churches and people are always brought to Christ when I tell this story um, because I was not broke. You know, cause a lot of people particularly african Americans, where they go to prison, they become jailhouse Muslims or they become jailhouse Christians or, or they're struggling. I wasn't sure, I was doing extremely well, financially, professionally, by all intents and purposes I was the American dream,
0: <sighs>
2: yet I was miserable suicidal and having anxiety attacks but only through christ was i delivered from that so i didn't go to him as this needy person and not that there's nothing wrong with it god take you wherever you're at but i mm-hmm. I, I i went against that stereotype that oh they found god when they didn't have nothing else no i had everything i didn't wow. need need quote-unquote need christ but i mm-hmm. completely needed him
1: yeah yeah, that's perfect uh thank you for coming on my podcast uh can you tell us where we can find
2: you on the on the interweb okay so um me at karima elemine on instagram and also i'm the co-creator and co-executive producer of a podcast or a talk show actually called the relevant show and it was started for initially to help reach the african-american community because unfortunately and, you know, you always want to reach your people. As a Nigerian, I know you feel that same way. You can't help it, but you want to reach your people. And I just feel like a lot of people, particularly African-Americans, don't know Christ the right way. They know him more as a religious figure as opposed to a relationship that can actually change your life. Um, and so we started this during the height of the pandemic last year. So it's called the relevant show, the relevant, the word work. And I, and I sent you all of my handles, please reach out because it's a space for, and we have these kind of real conversations. It, it deals with the re, um, relevancy reality and uh, of Christ and that you need Jesus now more than ever. And that's what I love about the joy of purpose podcast, these kind of stories and what we're doing with the relevant show is all about how much can we inundate the airwaves with the the, the gospel of christ so if you want to find me you find me connected to my faith and everything that i'm doing from my church home to my handles you'll see all the relevant stuff on there so right now that's my and i work with a multi-generational you know other co-hosts i'm the Old guy, if you will, I work with a lot of young people like you, and I do that because it's my goal is to continually tell people about God, and I like to go out and share my story of my conversion because there's a lot of people—they're not Muslim, they're not, not nothing—they got all these new age—they they just join whatever to come up, you know. It's, it, but you need to know that there's only one way to eternal salvation, and that's Jesus that's Christ. There's only one way because my life you know, people call me a Jesus fanatic or, you know, people knew me before a cult. And I'm so grateful that they do, because that means I'm doing something right. Cause it says in the Bible that God, they will call you a, a, a freak, a fanatic. And that's when you know that you're doing something right, because God expects us. That's normal. That's my normal J- Jesus, my whole life, that should be the normal way that all of us live. And so that's why I'm always open to be a part of things like what you're doing, um, Lola, and to see a young person like you doing this, it really warms my heart, heart because it's like God needs this Elijah generation, which you are part of, this young generation to do what you're doing and to be uh, consistent and persistent and steadfast and unmovable and your purpose to share the gospel because it's so important that people know who Jesus is because in this time, in this season, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're not going to be able to make it through.
1: Hmm. That's a great place to, to stop right there. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I'm looking forward to ed- editing this so that I can listen to it again because I know I'm going to get even to come with dance winners. Thank Man. you for coming
2: on. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it, Lila.
0: Thank you for listening. I want you to know that you are valuable. You have purpose within you. Don't forget to rate and review Joy in Purpose podcast on all podcast platforms. Enjoy your day. Peace.